Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Haunted Collection with your host, writer, paranormal investigator, and haunted collector, Kevin Kane, here to bring you more chills and thrills and terror to spice up your evening. Welcome to our 50th episode, yes, 50, episode number 50. I'm pretty proud of that. So I've lined up a couple of really cool, gruesome, really suspenseful stories for tonight, and I hope you enjoy them. Before we get to that, let me invite you over to myhaunteddolls.com. Check out our shop. We have all of my books out there available to purchase with autograph. There's even a photo out there if you're (laughs) interested in that. But we've got something new. We've got bumper stickers. That's right, myhaunteddolls.com bumper stickers. So be sure to check those out. You can put those on the bumper of your car or anywhere else that might help to advertise us to your friends. Also, follow the links page to my YouTube channel or just go to youtube.com forward slash C forward slash My Haunted Dolls. That's youtube.com forward slash C is in cat forward slash My Haunted Dolls and see the videos I've posted showing evidence, EVPs, spirit box sessions. For my haunted items, as well as recent live streams I've been doing recently. Be sure to watch out for those. There will be more of those to come in the near future. So right now, let's get down to business with our 50th episode. This first story. Wow. This was introduced to me only a few weeks ago, and it's already one of my favorites. I hope it will become one of yours as well. It's called... How the Scarecrow Died Josh was one of those kids who was just born to be a bully. He was built more like a gorilla than a human teenager, and he had the disposition of a rabid Rottweiler. There are a lot of different ways to bully someone, and Josh was an expert in all of them. He stole lunch money, shoved heads in toilets, beat kids up, and even pinched girls' asses in the hallways. But the thing that really made Josh born to be a bully was his dad. The man looked like an even bigger, uglier version of Josh, and he basically owned the small town we all lived in. He seemed to think that he owned the people, too. If somebody pointed out that Josh shouldn't slap a girl's ass in the hallway, you can bet a few phone calls later that person would be out of a job, thanks to Josh's daddy dearest. To this day, I sometimes wonder if the horrible events that would forever besmirch our town's history could have been avoided if someone had just held him accountable. 
But nobody ever did. So I guess I'll never know. The thing that started it was something simple. Josh took a special interest in making one particular kid's life miserable. Little Billy Johnston was just too easy of a target. He was skinny, pale, and kids called him the Scarecrow because of the patches in his clothes. Of course it wasn't Billy's fault that his mom was poor and could not afford new clothes, but you know how cruel kids can be when someone's different. Myself? I always just called him Billy. Every day Josh would call out to Billy in the halls, Hey, Scarecrow, come over here so I can beat the stuffing out of you. He thought this joke was so clever that he repeated it every single day. And if Billy didn't laugh, then he'd end up with his head stuck in a toilet. Things went on like that for a while. Nobody seemed to bother sticking up for Billy, and his overlarge clothes hid the scars that had begun to grow like tree roots down his arms. I never understood why the people this world spits on always end up punishing themselves more, but I guess that's just how it goes. Billy eventually shut down entirely. He wouldn't talk to anyone, wouldn't look you in the eye. The kid was scared of his own shadow. We all thought things couldn't possibly get any worse, but I guess fate did not really care too much for our ideas. That week, Billy's mom died, and within a few days, the whole town knew that she'd been found with a needle in her arm. If that was cause for a reprieve, then Josh did not see it. Rather, he thought the opposite. His prey was wounded, and now was the time to move in for the kill. I heard about your mom and how she died. He'd hiss under his breath when there were no teachers around. Wish I'd have found her. Your mom was a nice piece of ass for a smackhead. You're living with your grandma now, aren't you? Maybe I'll pay her a visit tonight. I don't think she'd put up much of a fight. Nobody seemed to notice as the gashes on Billy's arms spread to his chest and his legs, or how his face would twitch whenever Josh's insults echoed behind his eyes. Nobody noticed that he'd started writing in his diary about how much he'd like to steal his dead grandpa's gun and put an end to things this way. Sometimes you'll see a story about a kid like Billy on the news and wonder how nobody stepped in, how nobody saw what was going on in their head. The answer to that is simple. It's just easier to look the other way. 
The uglier the truth is, the more people don't want to face it because they'll have to ask themselves why they did nothing for so long. The last day before it happened, Josh had cornered Billy after school and beat him within an inch of his life. When Billy got home that day, his face looked like a pound of raw ground beef, and as he stared at himself in the mirror, he decided tomorrow was the day he'd end it. He snuck into his grandpa's gun safe that night and grabbed the old three fifty-seven revolver from inside. He did not know where to find more ammo, but he knew it was kept loaded in case of a break-in. The next morning, he tucked the revolver in his waistband and slid a long shirt over it. He didn't check to see if it was loaded. He didn't even want to look at it. And yet his jaw was clenched with determination as he caught the bus. When he got to school, he noticed there was a crowd outside by the football field. Thankful for the delay, he slid his way in between the shoulders and elbows to the front, and that's when he saw Josh. His former bully was naked, gutted from head to toe, and strapped to the field goal post, straw poking out from holes where he'd been sawn soon back up. His eyes were hollow pits, pecked out by birds before anyone had found him. And on top of his head, someone had placed an old scarecrow's hat. Billy left right then and came home. He barely glanced at me as he passed, sitting there in my rocking chair and knitting. Rather, he headed straight to his room and collapsed on the bed. It was the first time he slept easy in a long while. It was only a few days before the news had spread around the town that the boy had been murdered, and that when the police went to notify his dad, well, they found him dead too. To this day, they still don't know who did it. The police suspected Billy at first, and they must have asked me a dozen questions, a dozen times, if I'd seen my grandson leave the house that night. But I told them the same thing each time. I'd been awake all night watching my TV in the den and I would have seen him if he had left. I could tell they all thought I was senile, just an old crazy woman, but none of them had the dare to say it to my face. Well, I'm older now, and I don't think I have much time left, so now I suppose is the time for the truth. I don't know what Billy was up to that night, because I was not there. I was at Josh's house, 
and I was making damn sure that no one ever called my grandson Scarecrow ever again. And no one ever did. Wow, I really love that story. And I hope you enjoyed my little performance there, reading that as the creepy, crazy grandma taking up for her precious grandson. Well, sorry if you didn't like that, but, you know, I tried my best. (laughs) Anyway, I hope the story gave you some chills. And if not, my dear boys and girls, let's move on to the next story. This next story comes all the way from the lovely country of Japan. It's part of their Japanese folklore. This one is titled, Eight Feet Tall. My grandparents live in Japan. Every summer, my parents would take me there on holiday to visit them. They lived in a small village, and they had a big backyard. I loved to play there during the summer. When we arrived, my grandparents always welcomed me with open arms. I was their only grandchild, so they spoiled me. The last time I saw them was the summer when I was eight years old. As usual, my parents booked a flight to Japan, and we drove from the airport to my grandparents' house. They were delighted to see me and had a lot of little presents to give me. My parents wanted to have some time by themselves, so after a few days they took a trip to another part of Japan, leaving me in the care of my grandma and grandpa. One day I was playing out in the backyard. My grandparents were inside the house and it was a hot summer's day. I lay down on the grass to rest, and stared up at the clouds, enjoying the feeling of the soft rays of the sun and the gentle breeze on my face. Just as I was about to get up, I heard a strange sound. Pull, 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 pull. I didn't know what it was, and it was hard to figure out where it was coming from. It sounded almost like somebody was making the noise themselves, as if they were just saying, Po, 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 over and over again. And then it grew deep into a masculine voice. Po, 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 po. I was looking around, searching for the source of the noise, when I suddenly noticed something on top of the tall hedges that enclosed the backyard. It was a straw hat. It wasn't resting on the hedge. It was behind it. That's where the sound was coming from. Pull, 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 pull. Then the hat began to move as if someone was wearing it. 
The hat stopped at a small gap in the hedge, and I could see a face peering through. It was a woman, but the hedges were high, almost eight feet tall. I was surprised at how tall this woman was. I wondered if she was wearing stilts or some sort of huge high-heeled shoes. Then, a split second later, she walked off and the strange noise disappeared with her, fading into the distance. Bewildered, I got up and wandered back into the house. My grandparents were in the kitchen drinking tea. I sat down at the table and, after a while, I told my grandparents what I had seen. They weren't really paying attention to me, but I, but I mentioned that distinctive sound. Poo, 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 poo. As soon as I said that, both of them suddenly froze. Grandma's eyes grew wide, and she covered her mouth with her hand. Grandpa's face became very serious, and he grabbed me by the arm. This is very important, he said in an intense voice. You must tell us exactly how tall was she. As tall as the garden hedge, I replied, beginning to get scared. My grandfather bombarded me with questions. Where was she standing? When did this happen? What did you, what did you do? Did she see you? I tried to answer all his questions as best I could. He suddenly rushed out to the hallway and made a phone call. I couldn't hear what he was saying. I looked over at my grandma and she was trembling. Grandpa came back, barging into the room and spoke to my grandmother. I've got to go out for a while, he said. You stay here with the child. Don't take your eyes off him for a second. What's going on, Grandpa? I cried. He looked at me with a sad expression in his eyes and said, You've been liked. By Haichi Shakazuma. With that, he hurled out, got into his truck, and drove off. I turned to my grandmother and cautiously asked, who or what is Hachishakazoma? Don't worry, she replied in a shaking voice. Grandpa will do something. There's no need for you to worry. As we sat nervously in the kitchen waiting for my grandmother, my grandfather to come back, she explained what was happening. She told me that there was a dangerous thing that was haunting the area. They called it Hachishakazoma because of its height. In Japanese, Hachishakazoma means eight feet tall. It takes on the appearance of an extremely tall woman, and it makes the sound like poo, 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 which grows into a deep male voice. It appears slightly differently depending on who sees it. Some say it looks like a haggard old woman in a kimono, and others say it is a girl in a white funeral shroud. 
One thing that never changes is its height and the sound it makes. A long time ago it was captured by monks, and they managed to confine it in a ruined building on the outskirts of the village. They trapped it using four small religious statues called jizos that they placed at the north, south, east, and west of the ruins, and it wasn't supposed to be able to move from there, but somehow it managed to escape. The last time it appeared was 15 years ago. My grandmother said that anyone who saw eight feet tall was destined to die within a few days. It all sounded so crazy, I wasn't sure what to believe. When Grandpa came back, there was an old woman with him. She introduced herself as Kaysan and handed me a small crumpled piece of parchment, saying, Here, take this and hold it. Then she and Grandpa went upstairs to do something. I was left alone in the kitchen with my grandmother again. I needed to go to the toilet, so Granny followed me to the bathroom and would not let me shut the door. I was beginning to get really frightened by all this. After a while, Grandpa and Kason took me upstairs and brought me into my bedroom. The windows were covered in newspaper, and lots of ancient runes had been written on them. There were small bowls of salt in all four corners of the room, and a small Buddha figure placed at the center of the room on top of a wooden box. There was also a bright blue bucket. What's the bucket for? I asked. That's for your pee and poo, Grandpa replied. Kay-san sat me down on the bed and said, Soon the sun will be setting, so listen carefully. You must stay in this room until tomorrow morning. You must not come out under any circumstances until seven o'clock tomorrow morning. Your grandmother and your grandfather will not speak to you or call you until then. Remember, do not leave the room for any reason until then. I will let your parents know what is going on. She spoke in such a grave tone that all I could do was quietly nod my head. You have to follow Kason's instructions to the letter, Grandpa told me, and never let go of the parchment she gave you. And if anything happens, pray to Buddha and make sure you lock this door when we leave. They walked out into the hallway, and after saying goodbye, I closed the bedroom door and locked it. I turned on the TV and tried to watch it, but I was so nervous, I felt sick to my stomach. Grandma had left some snacks and rice balls for me, but I could not eat them. I felt like I was in prison, and I was very depressed and scared. I lay down on the bed and waited. Before I knew it, I was asleep. When I woke up, it was just after 1 a.m. All of a sudden, I realized that something was tapping on the window. Tap, 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 tap. I felt the blood draining from my face. 
and my heart skipped a beat. I desperately tried to calm myself down, telling myself it was just the wind playing tricks, or maybe the branches of a tree. I turned up the volume on the TV to drown out the tapping noise. Eventually, it stopped altogether. That was when I heard Grandpa calling me. Are you okay in there? He asked. If you're scared, you don't have to stay in there all alone. I can come in and keep you company. I smiled and rushed over to the door to open it, but then I stopped in my tracks. I had goosebumps all over my body. It sounded like Grandpa's voice, but somehow it was different. I couldn't tell what was, but I just knew. What are you doing? Grandpa asked. You can open the door now. I glanced to my left and a chill went down my spine. The salt in the bowls were slowly turning black. I backed away from the door. My whole body was trembling with fear. I fell to my knees in front of the Buddha statue and clutched the piece of parchment tightly in my hand. I started desperately praying for help. Please save me from Hachishakazoma, I wailed. Then I heard the voice outside the door saying, Poo, 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 poo. The tapping on the windows started up again. I was overcome by fear, and I crouched there in front of the statue, half crying and half praying for the rest of the night. I felt like it would never end, but eventually it was morning. The salt in all four bowls were pitch black. I checked my watch, and it was 7.30 a.m. I cautiously opened the door. Grandma and Kason were standing outside waiting for me. When she saw my face, Grandma burst into tears. I'm so glad you're still alive, she said. I went downstairs and was surprised to see my father and mother sitting in the kitchen. Grandpa came in and said, Hurry up, we've got to get going. We went to the front door and there was a large black van waiting in the driveway. Several men from the village were standing around it, pointing at me and whispering, That's the boy. The van was a nine-seater, and they put me in the middle, surrounded by eight men. Kason was in the driver's seat. The man on my left looked down at me and said, You've got yourself in quite a spot of trouble. I know you're probably worried. Just keep your head down and your eyes shut. We can't see it, but you can. Don't open your eyes until we've got you safely out of here. Grandpa drove in front, and my car, my dad's car was following behind. When everyone was ready, our little convoy started moving. We were going fairly slow, around 20 miles an hour or maybe less. After a while, Kason said, This is where it gets hard, and started muttering a prayer under her breath. That was when I heard the voice. Po, 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 po. 
I clutched the parchment Kason had given me tightly in my hand. I kept my head down, and I, but I peeked outside. I saw a white dress fluttering in the breeze. It was moving along with the van. It was Hachishakazama. She was outside the window, but she was keeping pace with us. Then suddenly she bent down and peered into the van. No, I gasped. The man beside me shouted, Quick, close your eyes. I immediately shut my eyes as hard as I could and tightened my grip on the piece of parchment. Then the tapping began. Tap, 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 tap. The voice became louder. Po, 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 po. There was tapping on the windows all around us. All of the men in the van were startled and on edge, muttering nervously to themselves. They could not see eight feet tall, and they could not hear her voice, but they could hear her tapping on the windows. Kaysan started praying louder and louder until she was almost shouting. The tension inside the van was unbearable. After a while, the tapping stopped and the voice disappeared. Kaysan looked back at us and said, I think we're safe now. All of the men around me breathed a sigh of relief. The van pulled over to the side of the road and the men got out. They transferred me into my dad's car. My mother held me in close and tears were running down her cheeks. Grandpa and my father bowed to the men and they went on their way. Kason came to the window and asked me to show her the piece of parchment she had given me. When I opened my hand, I saw that it had gone completely black. I think you will be okay now, she said, but just be sure. Hold on to this for a while. She handed me a new piece of parchment. After that, we drove to the airport, and Grandpa saw us safely on the plane. When we took off, my parents breathed a sigh of relief. My father told me he had heard about eight feet tall before. Years ago, his friend had been liked by her. The boy disappeared and was never seen again. My father said there were other people who had been liked by her and lived to tell about it. But they all had to leave Japan and settle down in foreign countries. They were never able to go back to their homeland. She always chooses children as her victims. They say it's because children are dependent on their parents and family members. This makes them easier to deceive when she poses as their relatives. He said the men in the van were all blood relatives of mine, and that's why they had been sitting all around me, and why my father and grandpa had been driving in front and in back. It was all done to try and confuse Hachishakazuma. It took a while to contact everyone and get them all together, so that is why I had to be confined in room all night. He told me that one of the little Jizo statues, the ones that were meant to keep her trapped, had been broken, 
And that was how she escaped. It gave me chills. I was glad when we finally got home. All of this happened more than twelve, more than ten years ago. I haven't seen my grandparents since then. I haven't been able to so much as set foot in the country. Afterwards, I would call them every few weeks and talk to them on the phone. Over the years, I tried to convince myself that it was just an urban legend, that everything that happened was just some elaborate prank. But sometimes, I'm not so sure. My grandfather died two years ago. When he was sick, he would not allow me to visit him, and he left instructions in his will that I was not to attend his funeral. It was all very sad. My grandmother called a few days ago. She said that she had been diagnosed with cancer. She missed me terribly and wanted to see me one last time before she died. Are you sure, Grandma? I asked. Is it safe? It's been ten years, she said. All that happened a long time ago. It's all forgotten. You're all grown up now. I'm sure there won't be a problem. But but what about Hachishakazuma? I said. For a moment, there was silence on the other end of the phone. Then I heard a deep, masculine voice saying, Po, 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 po. It's already been 50 episodes, but I've really enjoyed it, and I hope you've enjoyed it too, listening to these wonderful, scary, creepy tales, legends and urban legends and ghost stories, creepy tall tales, just anything I can think of to bring you wonderful chills of terror. So keep on tuning in. I hope we go another 50 episodes. So... Keep on watching out those windows. When the darkness falls, lock those doors, bolt your windows, turn on all the lights, but by all means, still, have a happy haunting. 